Well, today's scripture comes from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. And we're going to read this in the ESV. I want to encourage you to find the scripture uh, in your uh, pew Bibles if you have them, uh, or if you have a Bible app, um, or brought your own Bible. We'll be doing an alternate reading, which means that I'll read the first verse, and uh, we'll all uh, alternate. We'll uh, go back and forth between um, the first verse that I read, and then after that, everyone will read the next verse, and we'll go back and forth till the end. So please stand as able once you're ready to read the scripture. Again, it's John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, we are continuing in um, our series on resurrecting as this is uh, uh, the last week of uh, the season of Easter, the last Sunday. And so um, we've been doing this throughout uh, the season of Easter. And so I think it's fitting that we do it one last time, uh, that when I say Christ is risen, we respond by saying, he is risen indeed with a confident little fist pump. So why don't we do that all together? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, um, we've been talking about the different things that Christ has come to resurrect, that Christ has come to bring uh, new life into. And I think one of the things that is sorely in need of new life is church. And so that's why today's message is resurrecting church. And so, brothers and sisters, why do we have church? Why is church important? I mean, it used to be that church was where you heard God's word read. And so back in uh, the Middle Ages and even before that, uh, there was no printing press. Not everyone had a Bible. And so in order to hear scripture read, you would have to go to a church. And a priest would read it, which, by the way, a lot of times a priest would read it in Latin, and whether or not the people understood Latin, they would read it anyways. (laughs) But it was the one place where you could hear Scripture read, right? That's not true anymore, right? Uh, The Bible is the most published book of all time. It's in many, almost every home nowadays. Uh, It's in lots of hotel rooms, thanks to the Gideons, right? The, The Bible is ubiquitous. It's everywhere, and now you can find it on your phone. So why do we go to church? You go to church to hear a sermon? Well, by the way, uh, you can hear many sermons online now, 
right? You can go to YouTube and, uh, and type in the best sermons, right? And you'll hear some fantastic sermons. You'll hear some very polished speakers who uh, are funnier than me, <laughs> who have crazier stories than me, right? You can hear the best possible sermons ever. For me, I wondered at this too. Why do I need to go to church? Uh, and this question became very, very uh, uh, sort of at the forefront for me, especially uh, when I got older and I started staying up later. <laughs> and going to church at 11 doesn't sound like it would be really all that hard. Uh, but when I was in college, our, our service started, I think it was like 9.30, something like that, 9.45, something like that. And so a 9.30 service, and by the way, our church was, uh, it was, it was a, a good half hour away from my campus, and so we had to take a bus, or like, sorry, it was actually someone's van. Someone would pick us up in a van, and we go to church. And, you know, so you'd have to get out there, you know, before 9 o'clock to get in the van and go to church. And oftentimes, not, you know, before Steve was Pastor Steve, I was just Steve, a college student. <laughs> and I would stay up late on Saturday nights. And uh, I remember that first time I missed that 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 van, you know, I was devastated because I always went to church. You know, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, if you can indulge me, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I actually made it to the van. Um, I, I got there to the van. I, I could see it, and, and I, like, woke up late, right? And I was, like, running, and I got there, and right when I got there, the van took off. Nobody looked back. Nobody saw me, <laughs> right? And so th- then there was, like, a stoplight. Uh, not that far down, and so they stopped at the traffic light, and I ran to the traffic light, and I got there. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I got right next to the van. I'm not making this up. I got right to the van. Light turns green, and they kept going. <laughs> it's the first time I miss, miss church in college, and I was devastated. I was like, why didn't they turn? I, I, I was like, you know, I was yelling. I was like, hey, hey. But maybe they had the music on. Maybe they were listening to Hillsong. I don't know. You know. No one heard me, and they went on without me. And I didn't go to church that day. But you know what I did? I had my own personal worship service, and it was wonderful. You know, There was no sermon, right? It was the shortest church service I've ever been to, right? It was about five minutes. <laughs> I prayed. I sang a song, right? All in the course of five minutes. And then I was done and I went back to sleep. It was great. <laughs> Why do you need to go to church? Or maybe the, the, the question shouldn't be, why do you need to go to church? Why do we go to church? What is the purpose of church Period. In the day and age of the internet, where all of us have the word of God, we have, I mean, you know, if you want to come for music, you know, you can listen to the best music online. You can listen to the best worship bands and praise teams, right? You can hear the best sermons. Why do we need to go to church? Why church? Well, brothers and sisters, I think that the answer does come in today's scripture about what life is supposed to be about. And so let's just take a look at the scripture here, um, that this is Jesus's, uh, it's his uh, farewell address. He's praying for uh, all the disciples. And at the very, very end, this is the very, very end. So uh, this is the end of chapter 17. And in John 18 begins the passion narrative. 
of Jesus getting arrested and Jesus going to the cross, right? And so this is the very last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples as far as we know. That's recorded in scripture, right? His final words that seem to be kind of important. And what's kind of cool is in this prayer, he actually prays for you and me. And so you see it here. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who could that be? Not just for these, the disciples who are in front of me in flesh and blood, but the ones who will believe in me because of their preaching, right? Of the preaching of the traditions that get handed down. In other words, you and I, that's who Jesus is talking about. Right? And so what does he pray for? What is Jesus's desire in his heart of hearts for all of us? It is that they may all be one. That's it. That's it. That's what Jesus wants for you and I. Now, does Jesus want other things? Well, maybe. Right? But this is the thing that he mentions. In his farewell address, in this final prayer, in his heart of hearts for the church, for you and I to be one, to be unified, right? Uh, that they may be one, all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I know that's just kind of like a Hallmark card sentiment, right? It just sounds good. We are the world. We are the people, right? Let's just all join hands, sing Kumbaya. Let's just all be one, right? It sounds good on paper. But Jesus goes further than this. He talks about a kind of unity that is, it's, it's, it's a union of a life together, right? Um, so it's talking about that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. The unity means that Jesus is actually in us. The Father is in us. We are in each other. It doesn't get closer than that, right? This is the kind of unity. It's the sharing of lives. It's not just being in the same vicinity. It doesn't even mean uh, uh, being friends with somebody. It doesn't even mean holding hands with somebody, physically touching somebody. It means your lives are actually one and the same. What do we mean by this? It's the difference, brothers and sisters, between um, roommates and husband and wife. I've been doing uh, some premarital counseling, and I was talking to the couple, uh, one of the couples I'm doing premarital counseling with yesterday, about the difference between uh, roommates and husband and wife. Now, roommates, it can be anybody. It can be your friend, but it can just be somebody who just happens to need a place to stay, and you happen to need someone to stay with so that you can split the rent. So it's not that expensive. You may not like this person, but you are definitely with this person. Now, are you one with this person? Are you sharing your life with that person? Probably not, right? And this is usually what happens with roommates, is you just have lives that are parallel, side by side, right? And it's 50-50. And in some roommate situations, and, and brothers and sisters, I apologize if I'm hitting a little too close to home for some people, right? When it's not 50-50, it becomes a problem, doesn't it? It's like, you know, like, hey, this is my side of the room, this is your side of the room. Right? And maybe sometimes their stuff starts creeping into your side of the room. And you're like, hey, that's the line, right? It's 50-50. Half of this apartment is mine. 
And now maybe some of you are like, okay, Pastor Steve, you're being a little silly. That's a little too legalistic. But what if it seems like your roommate is using about 75% of the space? You know, they're using most of the space for for storage. Is is that going to bother you? Probably will. Right? You're probably going to be like, hey, what the heck? Right? This is a 50-50 arrangement. Right? What about if you're the one who's always cleaning the bathroom and they never clean the bathroom? What if you're always the one buying the groceries and they never buy the groceries? Is that fair? Is that okay? Probably not, right? That's the kind of life that many people live. It's just parallel lives. It's not lives that are lived together. It's just people who happen to be side by side. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about something closer to marriage. (laughs) I know, of course, you can only truly be married to one person, in this state at least, right? But the idea of marriage is this idea of unifying lives together. So what what we say in marriage is what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. We're on the same team. What affects me affects you. It's not my bank account and your bank account, my money and your money, it's our money, right? And so when somebody starts spending all the money, it's like, hey, 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 that's our money, right? You know, you can't say, well, no, 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 that's my money, right? Now, brothers and sisters, can you imagine what would happen in a marriage if you treated your husband or wife like you treated a roommate? What would happen? (laughs) You're like, honey, 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 uh, I'm really sorry, but that shirt that you put on the floor, that's on my side of the room. You can't do that. Uh, honey, 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 uh, you know, like seriously, um, this is my space, okay? There's no my space or your space. It's our space, right? It's not my food or your food, right? It's our food together. You know, we are sharing these lives together. This is what God desires for us, to be one, right? It is something that we desire. Now, brothers and sisters, I do understand. Um, I, I put this quote up last week. Um, it's a sentiment from a 1986 Whitesnake song. Here I go again on my own. There's a guitar solo in there because um, it's uh, an 80s power ballad. Um, but this idea of being on your own, Brothers and sisters, I know it's appealing for a lot of people because it's messy. Some of you were getting twitchy when I was using the roommate example because you understand how messy it is to live with other people. So some of us were like, you know what? Forget other people. You know, I actually prefer to live on my own. I don't want to have a roommate. I don't want to be at a church. You know what? It's even better sometimes to just worship on my own. Pastor Steve, your five-minute worship service that you had when you missed church that one day in college, that sounds great. Maybe I'll try that out. But brothers and sisters, what is Jesus' heart for us? Is it just that you have a relationship with God? Because that's the problem, is that's what we have made church today. It is a place where you have a relationship with God. But what about each other? Brothers and sisters, you are supposed to have a relationship with other people, right? You are not supposed to live life on your own. That's not the way that we are built. We find out, actually, that lots and lots of bad things happen when you live on your own. It's not by design. It is not the way God designed you to be. And so there's all these kinds of crazy statistics 
about uh, uh, people who are lonely. And by the way, brothers and sisters, we're lonelier than we've ever been. Right? I mean, you can, there's probably lots of reasons for this, but part of the reason is because we don't really need people anymore. Right? We, we have built the kinds of lives where we're like, you know what? I can do everything on my own. And I've got all my gadgets and I've got my computer and I've got the internet. And, you know, like, like if I get hungry, I don't need to get a community together to, to hunt and raise food, right? And then we cook the food together and we have a big meal together. I can just call Grubhub, right? I, I heard that there's uh, services now that will bring groceries to you. You don't even need to go to a grocery store anymore, right? They'll pick all the groceries for you for a small fee, and they'll bring it to you. You don't need to talk to anybody except for that one person who comes to your door. I, I suppose if you're really, really antisocial, you could just be like, hey, uh, I already paid on the app. Can you just leave it at the front door? I don't want to actually see your face. I don't want to talk to you. You can live that kind of life, the life of your dreams. But brothers and sisters, is that really the life of our dreams? Is this the kind of life that anyone really wants? Um, I, I quoted from this article uh, a few weeks ago, uh, or maybe it was a few months ago, I can't remember. But I thought it was very interesting because in this day and age, when you ask people, you know, um, like, like, are you lonely? What they find is that for, uh, the, the BBC did a survey of 55,000 people of the ages, uh, ages between 16 and 24. Uh, and they found that, well, actually they did uh, all sorts of people, but they found that adults between the ages of 16 and 24 were the loneliest. Now, people between the ages of 16 and 24, you would think have the most like, Vibrancy, right? That, that's a lot of the people in this room. Not everybody. Some of us are, you know, a little below that, a little above that. That's okay. But in this survey, they found that uh, young people were the loneliness, loneliest, with 40% responding that they felt lonely often or very often. And so people over the age of 75 had the same response. Now, is that a problem? Maybe some of us are like, what's the big deal? You know, here I go again on my own. You know, that's great. I want to be on my own. But uh, in 2010, there was a, a research study uh, that was done that said that people who had weaker social ties had a 50% increased likelihood of dying early than those uh with stronger ones. So being disconnected uh, posed danger comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day <laughs> and was more predictive of early death than the effects of air pollution or physical inactivity. Loneliness literally kills you. <laughs> it's not good for your health prospects to be alone. You were not designed to be alone. It is programmed into us. We are meant to be with each other. Not to just be around each other, but to actually share lives, meaningful lives together. This is the way church was supposed to be. But this is not what church is today. And so, brothers and sisters, what church is today, I don't even know what it is, but it's weird. <laughs> right? Because if you think about what Jesus prayed, right? Where he said, my desire is that they be one. Just like Jesus and the Father are one. Just like Jesus wanted to be one with his disciples. That's what he wants for all people, that they share their lives together. That they're so unified. It's almost like, man, you guys are like the one person. When one person gets hurt, the other person gets hurt. When one person celebrates, then everyone celebrates. 
right? Because you are sharing life together. That's the way it's supposed to be. Nowadays in church, you can go to church. And by the way, it's not just our church. This is every church, right? You can go to church, spend an hour and a half there or whatever, right? Not talk to a single person. No one knows your name and you don't know anyone else's name. And then leave, right? You know, maybe you hear some songs and you see some guy talk up here for a little bit. And then you leave and you feel absolutely devastatingly lonely, just as lonely as you were before you came. Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense? You can actually go to church with people for years, years, and never talk to them, (laughs) never know their name. Is that what church is supposed to be? It's weird, right? Now church has become some kind of weird show, (laughs) you know, where we're all sitting in these pews and you can't move, right? And again, brothers and sisters, this is every church. But is this the way church was supposed to be? You know, what they find is that the early church was not centered around a sermon like it is now. Uh, that's very suited to uh, Western culture, that we know what lectures are like. We know what stand-up comedy is like. We know what shows are like. You know, we, we like listening to bands and concerts. We have made the church, we have made church service something that serves the culture. You know, because a lot of people are like, you know what, I just want to kind of slip into church. You know, I just want to get like my little God fix and then leave, right? You know, I, I don't really want to interact with people. I don't really want to talk to people because that's dangerous. That's risky. I understand that, brothers and sisters. But let me tell you also something that, that I, I know. That everything worthwhile is a little risky, right? You, you got to put yourself out there if you want anything worthwhile. And you know that in relationships, Right? If you want any kind of relationship, you have to put yourself out there. It is a little risky. And I understand that many, many churches want to make it very easy for people to come. But we have mistaken the idea of having lots and lots of people having parallel lives, being next to each other, singing songs together, but not really with each other, right? But just next to each other. We have mistaken that for being the church. We have mistaken that for unity. I read this article recently about this pastor. It's, it's kind of a crazy article. Uh, this pastor was, um, he was uh, pastoring in, uh, I think it was Portland, um, that uh, his, his name was John Lee Bishop, and he had a church of about 2,000 people. It's this crazy story in Vanity Fair uh, that talks about how he had a church of about 2,000 people, and then about a year and a half ago, he was busted. Uh, he was arrested for smuggling drugs uh, over the U.S. border from Mexico uh, for a drug cartel. It's a crazy story, true story, right? Like, okay, that has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way, but just an interesting fact, right? But I, I will tell you that that this guy... You know, his idea of church was, this is what he says in the article. He says, my idea was to make church like Starbucks. That's what I want, to make church like Starbucks. Does that sound good to you? Is the church like Starbucks? I think it is. (laughs) Congratulations. I think the church is like Starbucks. So this is what Starbucks is like. You know, for many churches, we try to make it like Starbucks, try to serve as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, right? And try to bring as many people. All right, but there's a problem with this. You don't re- have real community at Starbucks. You don't really serve one another either. At church, it's supposed to be a place not where you get a show, 
right? Not where you just, you know, hear uh, 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 some good stories about God, right? Where you sing songs about God, right? It's supposed to be a place where you become the community of Christ, where you live together, together. It's supposed to be a place where you serve one another. And for the longest time, I wanted to make this church a place where people serve one another, where people love one another, right? And so I had a strategy. And this is actually most churches' strategies for doing this. I invested in leaders. I try to teach leaders. I'm like, you know what? We need to learn to be the church. We need to serve one another. You need to serve your, your fellow brothers and sisters. And by and large, our leaders do. They actually do a really good job. But something strange happens. Something strange happens that I didn't quite understand until I understood this. The church is like Starbucks. Now, let me tell you about Starbucks. <laughs> I go to Starbucks, uh, especially in the winter, because I go to Briarwood Mall, uh, because it's, it's too cold to go out to the park. I go to Briarwood Mall, get my Starbucks, walk around, do my prayer time in the mall. Uh, and after a while, I learn to, I get to know some of the baristas, right? They, they get to know me. They, they say hi to me every morning, because they see me all the time. They're like, good morning, Steve. I'm like, good morning, Clarissa, or whatever her name is, right? <laughs> I usually just have to look. Good morning, Lena, you know, right? But, you know, we can get to know each other, right? And we can be very, very friendly, right? And I can be a very, very loyal Starbucks customer. I will come every day. Mmm, this coffee's good, right? But this is one thing I will never do. I will never do this. Not in a thousand million years until one thing changes, right? But I will never, never go behind the counter and start serving drinks. I will never do that. I'll never put on an apron and be like, hey, do you guys need some help back here? Why? Because at Starbucks, my relationship is very clear. I'm the customer. They're the baristas. Only the baristas serve. This is why churches like Starbucks. You know who the baristas are? The leaders. (laughs) And they serve. And they serve really well. They've been trained, right? They've been instructed. And so people do that. And so if you want to serve at church, what do you have to do? You have to become a barista. You have to become a leader. That's what most of us think, right? And it's nobody's fault. This is just the way church has evolved. And by the way, a lot of people treat churches exactly like Starbucks. Did you know that there's like uh, Facebook and Yelp reviews for churches now? Living Grace Ministries, five stars. Living Grace Ministries, two stars. The pastor preaches too long. (laughs) You know, this, their music used to be so good at Living Grace Ministry, but lately the music has been subpar. You know what? I'm going to check out 248 Community this time. You know, brothers and sisters, this is the way many of us treat church. We hop around churches, try to find the coffee that we enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. You know, this sermon, this sermon just hits the right theological notes. Mm, this sermon is funny enough for me. This sermon has uh, too much personal information. The pastor's a mess here. You know, this, this church, you know, I like their food. This church, I don't like their food, right? We treat it like Starbucks. But you know what the church is supposed to be more like? Like a family. What if you treated your family like Starbucks? Hmm. You know, my family today, (laughs) lately, just hasn't been so good. You know, Dad, your stories are just not so funny anymore. I give it three stars, you know? (laughs) This past family gathering, not so good. You know, the people weren't that friendly this time. 
You know, I wish that people would smile more in my family. Right? Now, there's a problem with this. There's a fundamental flaw in that way of thinking. You know what the fundamental flaw is? That you are somehow different than everyone else in your family. That you are in a position to judge them and to critique them and to expect them to do things for you. What we, what do we call that? We call that a customer. Right? You are not customers at church. You are the body of Christ. You are brothers and sisters. And we are one. Right? We are one. That's what the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be in this thing together. You know whose job it is to love people? Sometimes people will complain about church the way they complain about Starbucks, but they'll talk about it in the spiritual things or in the community things. They'll say, this church isn't very welcoming. You know what you should be saying? You should be saying this. I mean, I'm not trying to be critical here, but it's true. You should say, I'm not very welcoming. Ooh, ah, when did we make that shift? When we understand that the church is One, that's what it's supposed to be. It's not Starbucks. We're not waiting for baristas to serve each other. We're trying to be the kind of church where we can serve one another, right? Now, brothers and sisters, I already said, it's not anyone's fault. This is the way most Western churches are, right? Like I said, the early church was not founded on, uh, it was not centered around one person talking. You know what it was centered around? It was centered around the Lord's Supper. Around, that's right, a meal. What does that sound like? It sounds like fellowship. It sounds like something a family would do. You eat together. You talk together. You enjoy each other's company. And yes, you talk about God. You talk about how God has been working in your life. You pray for one another. You share life together. The early church, they shared everything in common. That's such a radical concept to us. We look at that, we're like, that's communism. Communism. It's like, it's in the Bible, guys. This is like, like a thousand years, you know, 1500 years before anyone thought anything about communism, right? It was just saying, we're one. We're one. So if someone's hurting in my congregation, why wouldn't I want to help them? This is just church. That's just the body of Christ. This is just what we do, right? That's the way church was supposed to be, you know? And so after some time, and, and to be honest, a lot of our churches, they were uh, modeled after Roman basilicas, a place where you would come and you would listen to people give speeches. You would listen to people teach, Right? And so after a while, when Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire, what did they use for churches? Well, what do, what do you think they use? Roman basilicas, right? And so all our churches are modeled after that. They're not modeled after family rooms. <laughs> They're not modeled after places where you just come and eat and fellowship together. And so brothers and sisters, a lot of this It's not my fault. It's not your fault. It's all of our faults. (laughs) And in some ways, it is my fault. (laughs) Because I think that in some ways, we have just let this continue. We're just sitting here every week, not talking to each other, not, not really getting to be the church together. And for me, one of the things that breaks my heart is when I hear from people who, you know, they've been part of our church for years and years and years, and they're like, you know what? No one talks to me. And by the way, remember what we said. It's not other people's responsibility to talk to you any more than it's your responsibility to talk to people. 
But as a collective, we're not talking to each other. Or I hear people say like, man, you know, I'm just so alone at church. What? You're alone at church? That makes no sense. But it does kind of make sense when we just sit here in these pews and we don't talk to anybody. This is why we're doing 1030 fellowship, right? Now, I have to admit, it's nice to have donuts and coffee, (laughs) right? And, And like I said, the early church, it was centered around a meal. It was centered around a place where you're eating bread. And, of course, back then, that's just common. They were drinking wine, not grape juice, (laughs) right? They're having a good time with each other. And, yes, it was symbolic. And, yes, it it did stand for Jesus' sacrifice and all that. But what did Jesus sacrifice himself for? Did he sacrifice himself just so we could go on doing religion as usual? And religion, as usual, looked like this. God is somewhere way over there, and we are these really sinful, horrible people who have to find our ways to God. And by the way, some of us will do it better than others, and we are the worthy ones. And the unworthy ones, well, literally, to hell with them. Who cares about those other ones? That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to create a new kind of community. This is what church was supposed to be, a place where we experienced the love of Jesus that united us to him, made us one with him. This is why, you know, people look at the early church and they're like, they were so weird. All these people just gathering people's homes and eating bread together and and just sharing each other's lives and sharing all their goods together. Oh my gosh, that's weird. Yeah, it is weird. It's supernatural, isn't it? That's what Jesus wanted to bring about, and it's beautiful. That is a little slice of the kingdom of God. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, if our churches actually look like that? If our churches were actually a place where you could share stuff in life with people, you knew people, you knew their stories, you cared about them, and they cared about you. And it wasn't because you were all, you know, from the same company or you all had the same interests right? Or that you all happen to like each other in some, you know, arbitrary way because you like their clothes or you like the the symmetry of their face, right? But it was just, it was because of God's love. God's love is what unites us. We bring all the weird people, all the freaks, all the social outcasts, all the people who don't have a place to belong, but they desperately want one, that they can find it here, They can find it here. They can find this unconditional love of God, and they can find it in each other. That's church. That's church. I don't want to just get up here and talk for 30 minutes (laughs) and just sing songs. You can do that anywhere. You can listen to a sermon anywhere. You, you, You can sing songs anywhere. You can worship God anywhere. I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, but you can, right? You can go outside and you can worship God in your car. You you can worship God in nature, oftentimes even better than you can in a building, right? But you can't find a body of Christ anywhere else but the church or any church you're a part of. That's the one thing we have, that the best internet sermons and, you know, the best worship teams and, you know, all of these things do not have, they don't have a community. 
This is why you come to church. This is what church is about, where we learn to be one. I don't know if you noticed, but the passing of the peace time, we started making that a little bit longer. Did you notice that, brothers and sisters? That's, that's a great time to just bless one another. We're going to start doing things increasingly a little bit more different. Now, some of you may, may have noticed or not noticed, it hasn't been that different because I understand we're used to the format that we have. We're not going to change it all overnight, but you know, one week you have coffee and donuts. <laughs> one week you're blessing each other in worship. Do you remember we did that last week where you actually blessed someone else in worship? Did you notice that? Yeah, we're doing these things intentionally, right? We're trying to make a place where we can actually be the church. And yes, even on Sunday, you don't have to wait for small group to be the church. You can be the church right here on Sunday. Because for some people, some people don't come to small group. I wish you do come to small group. That'd be great. But if you don't have a small group that you go to, brothers and sisters, you should still be able to get community here. That's the hope, right? Now, so these are things that I've been thinking about, that I've been praying about, and I want to uh, say something. Jesus did not say (laughs) that this would happen overnight. And Jesus did not say that we would be able to do this perfectly on our own. And actually, I, I want to show you what Jesus did say. And so he says, uh, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. That is God's desire. He does want you to become perfectly one, but it won't happen overnight. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So brothers and sisters, our love, it comes from Jesus, right? Jesus wants to make this love known to us. He wants to make the, the name of the Father known to us. And he wants to continually make that known to us. And that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The love that God showed to Jesus, Jesus shows to us and then we show to each other. That's how we are united. It is by the love of Christ that we are increasingly learning how to do. God's desire is for us to be perfectly united. You're not going to do it perfectly yet because you're learning. That's why we come here. That's why we read scripture, right? That's why you hear a guy talk about how how we do this better. And then you get to practice. You get to practice before service. You get to practice during service. You get to practice after service, right? In all these ways, we are practicing how to become the church. I want to encourage you, right, every week, that you come with that expectation. You come not to just be fed. You can get fed at home, brothers and sisters. You come to be the community of Christ. Yeah? Amen? That's what you're here for, because you can get fed at home, right? You are coming to be the community of Christ, to practice being the community of Christ. Maybe for some of you, it is a very big deal to go up to someone you don't know and say hi. I get that. 
in this world, that can be a very frightening thing. It can be very hard to, to make eye contact with people, to have community. Have you noticed that our communities are increasingly just not very friendly? You know, I noticed that uh, when I go to these parks and when I go to the mall, um, there are some people who uh, seem to know everyone. There's this older African-American gentleman who goes around the mall and he waves to everyone he sees. And people like start conversations with him and he's always smiling and they stop him and sometimes he'll stop and have a coffee with someone. I'm like, how does he know everyone? And what I realized is that he doesn't know everyone. (laughs) He just says hi to everyone. Because you know how I know this? Because I don't know this guy. I don't know his name. And he says hi to me, right? (laughs) So I pass him and he's like, that the first time he did it, I was like, is there someone behind me? There's no one around me. He was saying hi to me. And so now I say hi to him back. Right? And so I'm like, you know what? That guy, it's like, he's like the most joyful person I've seen. It's awesome. I want to be like that guy. So I decided I'm going to be like that guy in my community. So I walk around my community. I walk my dog. And you know what I do? Um, it, it was really hard to do because we've lived in our community for three years. It's mad awkward. We don't know some of our neighbors. We don't know their names. I know some of my neighbors, but some of them, I walk by their house and I'm like, sorry, my dog is pooping on your lawn. And then I just move on, right? And, and it's awkward, right? And I'm always wondering what they're thinking, you know? And so this is what I started doing. I'm like, you know what? I'm, like, I'm going to be like the guy at the mall. I'm going to wave to everyone I see. So I do it. I started waving to everyone I see. The first time I did, I'm like, I'm going to look so crazy. Like, I don't care. So I, I just like see someone driving and I'm like, you're not going to wave? Okay, cool, right? Next day, see the same person? I, I did this like a good solid two weeks. I would wave every day. And I'm usually walking my dog around the same time, so I see the same people come in and out, right? And so one day, I was like feeling really discouraged because I was like, you know what, Steve, you're just being silly. You know, that little mind inside of you, that, that, that little voice that tries to keep you safe, right? It kind of sabotages love, right? It just speaks fear into you. It's like, you know what? You look crazy. Don't wave to these people. They don't know who you are. So, so one day after doing this for two solid weeks, I'm walking down. I see the same car. It's this red car. I wave to them every day. They don't wave to me. And so I'm like, I'm not going to wave. Forget you. I waved every day for two weeks. I'm not waving this time. So I'm walking my car. And I look at them, and as they're passing, the guy waves. So I wave back, and now I still do it every day. Brothers and sisters, what, I mean, it's kind of a silly example. I know that our, my community is not church. <laughs> but I know that for all of us, we crave for that connection. We want to have the kind of communities where people know your name. Sorry, I'm kind of failing here. Uh, can I just hold it like this? Is this weird? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, there used to be uh, one of the, the most popular uh, show uh, growing up for me was called Cheers. Has anyone heard this? Yeah, it's a, some people like one person. Okay, it's a really old show. Some of you are like, I know it, but I don't want to show how old I am. Um, so it was the most popular show on TV. And the theme song went like this. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? And they're always glad you came. Come on, everyone. No, just kidding. You don't know the time. <laughs> right? Brothers and sisters, cheers. Does anyone know what it's about, what the place was? It wasn't a church. 
It was a bar, right? But at the bar, someone would come in, right? And there would be this guy, Norm. He would come in, Norman, right? And when Norm would come in, you know what everyone do? They would all turn, right? No matter what they were doing, and they would all go, Norm! Brothers and sisters, can we do that here at LG? I'm just kidding, just kidding. That'd be crazy, everyone. Aaron! Grace! People are going to be like, what's wrong with this church? But at the same time, don't you sometimes want to go where everybody knows your name? Don't you want that? Don't you want the kind of community where people know your story? Where people come up to you, they're like, hey, how's the job going? Hey, I know you've been looking for a job. Hey, I'm so sorry your dog has been sick. You know, hey, you, you know, I've been praying for you this week. Just because. I wish that would be more and more LGM. Don't you? Don't you? Because I think that was Jesus' heart. I think that was God's heart for LGM. Yeah? Yeah? So, brothers and sisters, uh, it's not going to be this miracle thing. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to happen increasingly. I want to encourage you, come next week, 1030. Come have some donuts. Come have some coffee buns, and maybe talk to someone you don't know. Maybe do something that's going to be a little risky. Maybe you're going to feel a little foolish. There's someone you don't know, and you just look at them, and you smile, and you wave. I know it's risky. I know it's risky. But maybe, just maybe, they'll smile and they'll wave back. And maybe, just maybe, you'll feel a little less lonely. Maybe, just maybe, you'll feel a little more connected to something bigger than yourself, to this crazy thing that we call church. Amen?